Welcome to the podcast of Maranatha Ministries. I'm Rick Frank, Senior Pastor of Maranatha, and I pray you'll be blessed by today's message. You can access all of our church information by going to our website at www.mmchurch.com or on all social media by searching at mmchurch. And now be blessed by listening to today's message. Um, I'm going to jump right in here. So I'm going to start with Acts. My opening scripture is Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And so from this passage, I want to uh, preach on a sermon titled, Holy Boldness? Yes, please. Amen. (laughs) Can we just take a moment out and pray? Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We ask that you anoint anoint this sermon, that you'll anoint my lips of clay, God, that you'll speak through me, that you'll open the ears and the hearts of everyone sitting here today to hear what you want them to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Is anyone familiar with an old radio show called The Al Pierce Show? Back in like 1939? You were at the 830 service, so that doesn't count. (laughs) Anyway, there's a show called The Al Pierce Show, and um, his character that he played, it was just, you know, back in the day, they just did these little radio shows. You know, and everyone would sit around the radio, and they'd listen listen to the show just like, you know, we do now with TVs. And uh, he, his character was a door-to-door salesman known as the lowest pressure salesman. And so every time he would knock on the door, he would say, I hope there's nobody home. I hope, I hope, I hope. And I believe that there are a lot of people that are like that when they go out to testify for Jesus. Amen? On one hand, their loyalty makes them go, but on the other hand, their, their fear makes them slow. I grew up in this. I've, I don't know life without Maranatha. And uh, growing up, we did door knocking. That's what we did. You know, Saturdays, we were out door knocking. And uh, I remember just as a, as a young girl, when it was my turn to knock on the door, I would actually pray to God, the God who I'm supposed to be testifying and witnessing for, I would pray to him, Jesus, please don't let anyone open the door so I can just hang the door hanger on the door and walk away, and I wouldn't have to worry about it. And my sister-in-law is laughing because she was right there with me, we, we, just hoping that, that no one would, would open the door. Um, and I, you know, I look and I say, what made Peter and John so bold? What made them so bold? I'm going to kind of set the scene for you here in Acts 4, 1 through 3. It says, now as they spoke to the people the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So here we have Peter and John actually being put in jail for the night for for preaching, But if we move to verse 4, and that's not going to be up on the screen, but it says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So the first point is this. If you're going to be a bold witness for Jesus, you can expect persecution. You weren't expecting that, right? (laughs) A little Debbie Downer here. You're going 
to be persecuted. They were persecuted, and if you get bold for Jesus, you will be persecuted. Um, the servant is not greater than the master. Amen? It's obvious to see why they were persecuted, because the persecution was not against them. It was against Jesus Christ. The book of Acts was not about what the apostles were doing. The book of Acts was what Jesus was doing in the apostles. In Acts chapter 3, there was a lame man that sat at the, at the gate of the temple, and this man was miraculously healed, radically changed, and the people wanted to know how it was done. And so Peter said in, in Acts 3.12, he said, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter's saying, don't give us credit for this. This, this wasn't us that did this. And in chapter 4, verse 10, Peter says, Let it be known to you and all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. Listen, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. All right? And their doctrine had been challenged by what Peter and John were preaching. But rather than examine their doctrine, they just opposed the truth. Have you seen that? Have you seen people do that? Instead of looking in and looking to see if there's something wrong, they just oppose whatever, whatever, you're, whatever you're telling them. They were the chief priests. They were the ones held in high regard. They were the ones that people sought after for financial, or for, financial for spiritual wisdom. They were held in high regard. And now those same people are leaving them and going after the Nazarene, after Jesus Christ. And when they persecuted Peter and John, they weren't persecuting Peter and John. They were persecuting Jesus. So if you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, if Jesus truly, truly dwells in you, the same world that hated Jesus, the same world that hated them is going to hate you. Amen? The devil will aim all of the artillery of hell at you. And that's just evidence that you love God. That's all that is, is evidence you love God. You can expect in this world we are going to be persecuted. But Jesus said we are to rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Amen? The The second point is not only are you going to be persecuted, not only can you expect persecution, but the persuasion that you can express. Moving on to Acts 4, 4 through 12 says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Cyphus, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. 
nor is there salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They were persecuted, but they were powerful. Here, Peter and John come to these people, and these people intimidate them. They speak against them. They put them in jail. But yet, in verse 4, there were 5,000 men saved in one service. And listen, if we look back in the Bible, the 5,000 men most likely included women and children, wives and children. That means that that, you, that could easily bring that number up to probably close to 20,000. 20,000. So they're persecuted, they're thrown in jail, and yet somewhere around 20,000 people were converted. What convicted and convinced all of these people? Do you think Peter just stood up there and preached a really good sermon that day? <laughs> no. No one has that much, that, no one has that power of persuasion. There is no one uh, that has the power of persuasion. What convinced the people? What convinced them? It wasn't facts about a dead Christ, but an encounter with the living Christ. They met Jesus again. They had seen Jesus. Arguments did not convince them. And I know I said this in a sermon, I don't know, a couple, a couple weeks ago. Arguments did not convince them. You'll never argue a man into heaven. You never will. Incidentally, if you are ever out with Evangelist Miller and the, and the, and the team, and you, or you're out on your own, and someone starts arguing with you, stop. Because no one has ever argued into heaven. We can be witnesses, right? But we weren't called to be lawyers. We can defend the faith and we can give rationale. But when it becomes an argument, just stop. And I said this statement before, because if you lose the argument, you lose the point, right? If you win the argument, you lose the person. I grew up with one of the best pieces of advice from my mom. Um, you know, I, I grew up in this, so I was always the different kid in school. I always looked different. I acted different. I was different. And my mom used to always say, Shoshana, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can tell me all day, every day that God does not exist, but I have experienced him firsthand. I have felt his presence. I have seen his healings. I have been a recipient of his healings. I am never at the mercy of someone else who has these facts because I have experienced him. You will never be at their mercy. Those people were not argued into heaven. There was no argument. They had met Jesus in the person of the apostles. They had met Jesus in the person of the apostles. They had seen Jesus. They had seen him work. After the resurrection of Jesus, we've all talked about the doubting Thomas, right? We all know doubting Thomas. That's actually kind of, you know, you always call someone a doubting Thomas if they don't believe you. Or Here Thomas was a doubter, and the other ten disciples tried to convince Thomas that Jesus was alive, Okay? They had seen him. The other ten had seen him. And so they were trying to convince Thomas. Yet, after having seen Jesus, they could not convince Thomas that Jesus was alive. These are his ten best friends. Could not convince Thomas that Jesus was alive. But when Thomas saw Jesus, 
He didn't need an argument because he had an encounter. He had an encounter with Jesus himself, and he fell at his feet and said of Jesus, my Lord and my God. So if his 10 best friends can't convince him that Jesus was alive, I'm never going to be able to stand up here and convince you that Jesus is alive with an argument, right? But when the Holy Spirit of God filled these apostles, and now Jesus is alive and living in them, they were not just simply arguing the dead Christ existed some time ago, or even that the living Christ had, had risen from the dead. They were demonstrating with Christ in their hearts that Christ was alive. Amen. Amen. I love in verse 11 where Peter, Peter ends by saying, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Have you kind of noticed, like, with Peter, he likes to kind of just, you know, this is the Christ whom you crucified. This is the cornerstone whom you rejected, right? Remember, when Peter and John were speaking, all the hoity-toity, holier-than-thou, muckety-muck guys were there, right? They, uh, all the religious and, and government top dogs were there. And here Peter, now listen, Peter is the same man who, who trembled in front of a little teenage girl. And this is the same Peter who denied Christ three times because he was afraid. And yet he's surrounded by all of these men, and rather than be intimidated, he's experiencing holy boldness. There's an ancient Jewish history when, when Solomon's temple was built that all the stones were cut in the quarry so that there was no hammering noises on the actual temple site. And so they, what they did was they cut all the stones, they brought them up to the construction site, and then the architects went and they labeled the stones according to, you know, which ones need to be called out. And in the construction site, there was this one boulder that was just in the middle of this construction site and the guys were walking around it and then stumbling over it and finally one person just said, you know, this, this stone is, is worthless. I'm not sure why it's here. It's worthless. It's useless. Let's get rid of it. And so they pushed that stone out of the construction site down the mountainside. And when that fell down the mountainside, it landed in the valley. Weeds and, and bushes and stuff grew up around it and it, and it pretty much disappeared. And when the time came to put the cornerstone in, now this cornerstone is going to unite the whole building, hold it together, give it strength, give it beauty. They sent to the quarry and told them that they were ready for the cornerstone. You know, they said, hey, can you send the cornerstone? We're, we're ready for it now. And the quarry respond, you know, sent messenger back and said, we already sent you the cornerstone. And the guy said, um, no, you didn't. We've gone through all of our inventory, and we absolutely don't have this cornerstone and of course, they discovered that the stone that they had rejected, the stone that they had rolled down that mountainside, they now had to go and retrieve because that stone that the builders rejected was the head of the corner. In this illustration, I believe Peter is using to tell them that, listen, Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and you have rejected Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other. If there is one message that the church needs to be preaching today. It is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. With Christ alive, there will be persecution in us, and he's going to be persecuted. But secondly, because Christ is alive, there's going to be persuasion. 
there's going to be power. And the third point is the presence that we shall experience. Acts 14, uh, Acts 4, 13 and 14 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. These men were bold. They were bold because they had been with Jesus. They had seen Christ alive, resurrected, and now living in them. All forces of hell could not intimidate them. Nothing could shut them up. Nothing can keep them quiet because they were filled with God in his presence. I, th- I think that one of the curses of the 21st century, of Christi- uh, 21st century Christianity is the cowardice and the silence of good people. I want you to take a second here and look around the church and look around at how many people we have sitting here. What would happen if this many people right now, filled with holy boldness, were turned loose on this city tomorrow? What would happen? I got to tell you, I think we pack out the church. I think Bishop's 1,000 vision is a bit low if all of us could tap in to that holy boldness. We need a contagious epidemic of holy boldness. Amen? What is this boldness that they saw when they saw the boldness of Peter and John? What was it that set these people on their ears so long ago and they made them marvel? I'm going to tell you what holy boldness is not, okay? Holy boldness is, is not a human courage. Listen, there's some people who have an extraordinary amount of courage, right? But that's not holy boldness. It may be self-confidence. Maybe they just don't know enough to be afraid. I know some people don't know how to read social cues, and they just, you know, keep going and don't realize that the, per- <laughs> the person's like, if you don't stop, I might, you know. Um, that's not holy boldness. That's not holy boldness. If you say today, show, I'm just not wired that way. I've, I've always been afraid. I've, I've always been afraid to talk to people. And listen, you may not feel this way. I may just be preaching to myself. I don't know. Because we got a lot of flyers to still hand out for next week, right? And, um, and, and, and so there may be some of you that may be a little fearful, but I, I want to remind you that we've been talking about Peter, right? Peter was so fearful that he trembled in front of a little girl, like a teenager. Now, listen, I know some teenagers can be scary. I have a couple of nieces that are teenagers. They, they can be scary sometimes, but, you know, not that scary, right? And yet, he had this holy boldness. Holy boldness is not human courage. Holy boldness is also not arrogant, you know, no, there, it's not, there's no arrogance. I've seen some people that what they call boldness, I just call brass. They say, well, I just, you know, I'm just speaking my mind. I'm bold for Jesus. No, you're a jerk is, is really what you are. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Jesus never did that. He was winsome. He was bold, but he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't brassy. He wasn't going around buttonholing people and calling it boldness. Right? Boldness is saying, Jesus, if you be for me, who can be against me? 
Jesus, if you want to use me, use me. And I will trust that you will take care of me. And Lord, if you choose to let me go to jail, as much as I don't want to do it, I will rejoice that I'm counted worthy to suffer shame for your name. You are my commander-in-chief, and I will submit myself to you, and I will speak at your command. Verse 15 through 20 says, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, Let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Listen, you can't be convinced that Jesus Christ came out of the grave and that he's the only hope of a sin-cursed world, and be silent. Right? That's like telling the sun not to shine again. Telling a Christian to keep your mouth shut. Don't talk about, don't talk about the Savior of the world, the person who's going to give you eternal life. You can't talk about it. You might as well just tell the sun not to shine. All hell could not stop these men from speaking. They said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Remember, Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me. Well, what is a witness? A witness is someone that tells what he's seen and heard. And I'm, and I'm wondering if the reason that some people don't witness is they haven't seen or heard anything. Evangelism in the New Testament was not a three-day meeting where they brought in a special guest speaker. Right? That wasn't evangelism in the New Testament. It wasn't some sort of religious show. It wasn't, it was the daily business of these early Christians. They were all at it. Do you notice? They were all at it. They were all at it. And they were always at it. These early Christians were remarkable. Listen, they didn't have television. They didn't have televangelists. They didn't have radios. They didn't have newspapers, no buses, no literature. They didn't even have a church building. No church building. And yet they turned that known world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament Christianity cannot be explained. It cannot be rationally denied. And it cannot be intimidated. Because we cannot but speak those things which we have seen and heard. Do you know Jesus? And I don't mean just, you know, know him. Do you really know him? You know, there's, there's people that come into the church and, and they think that all we do is give them rules and regulations and this is how you have to live and you can't live like this and you can't do this. And they think, well, I can't live like that. And, and they're out. Listen, I'm not up here today to tell you how you have to live, how you can't live. I'm up here to introduce you to the living Jesus Christ, who then will tell you what he wants you to do and how to do it. Amen? Mark Twain said, don't tell me what to do. I already know what to do. He said, I'm not living up to half of what I already know. It's not what to do that I need. It's how to do it. Yeah. 
It's the desire to do it and the power to do it. And Jesus is the one who not only shows you what to do, but he gives you the power to do it. So have you ever really bowed before him and made him your Lord? I'm going to close with a, with a little story, and then I'll have Bishop come. But I read a story about a young man who was having some difficulty living for God. And, you know, he, he just couldn't understand why he was struggling so much. And he just, he just felt like he couldn't make that commitment. He didn't have the power to do it. And so he went to his pastor, and um, he told his pastor, he said, you know, I'm, I'm just really struggling. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know... I, I know I need to commit, I haven't committed, and I don't know if I have the power to do it. And his pastor responded and said, son, there's a painting of Jesus I'd like you to see. Would you be willing to go? And uh, the, the boy said, yes, sir, absolutely. And, and he said it was in, you know, thus and such a building. And he said, go, go to see the painting. And when you get there, tell the caretaker that I sent you. And so the young man went to this particular building, and when he got there, the caretaker came out, and he said, you know, son, are, are you the one that's here to see the painting? And, and he said, yes, sir. And he said, well, come on in. I'll show you the painting of Christ. And so the young man walked into the building, and there on a huge wall was a painting of Christ, and it was the crucifixion scene. And um, in this painting, he, he was in agony, and it was, it was bloody. And right away, when the young man saw the painting, he was repelled by it, almost repulsed. And the reason was the artist didn't seem to be a very good artist. So the painting somehow seemed to be top-heavy. It seemed to be kind of leaning out. And, and so it was almost out of proportion, almost grotesque. And so the caretaker told, told the young man, he said, son, get a little closer and, and get a little lower. And so the boy you know, got a little closer and got a little lower, and the caretaker told him a couple more times, just get a little, get a little closer, get a little lower. Until finally the young man found himself on his knees right at the foot of the cross. And when he looked up, it was in perfect proportion. That was the only position from which that painting made any sense, was right on the knees at the foot of the cross. From that perspective, it had been painted. Church, I'm wondering if that's exactly where Jesus wants to bring you today. On your knees, right at the absolute foot of the cross. If you guys can stand. I want to have you say with me, and I want you to mean it, Jesus is Lord. Can we all say that together and mean it? Jesus is Lord. Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Ministries podcast. If this message touched you, please make sure to subscribe for more sermons from Pastor Frank and the ministry team here at Maranatha, as well as follow us on our social media platforms. We are located in Schenectady, New York, and if you are in the area, we invite you to join us during our weekly Sunday service starting at 10.30 a.m. We look forward to you joining us again next week for another anointed message. Thank you and God bless.